This is the Trails Church Podcast. At the Trails Church, our mission is to glorify God by making disciples through the gospel in community and on mission. If you'd like more information about our church, visit our website, thetrails.org. Now, here's today's podcast. Well, good morning, everybody. As you're taking your seats, uh, I would encourage you to flip open your Bibles to Psalm 42 and 43. Uh, While you're doing that, I'll introduce myself. My name is Gabe Boyd. Uh, I serve as the Director of Family Ministry here at the Trails, as well as the Director of Trails Students. Uh, And I got to tell you, like, it is a joy and an honor for me to get to open God's Word with you this morning, Um, and and I'm really, really excited uh, to have this opportunity. Um, A couple of things before we dive into the Word. Um, If you haven't shared a summer with us, um, typically the way that we do things here at the Trails is that uh, we would spend the summer about eight weeks or so in the Psalms. Um, We would typically take a break from our current sermon series. In this case, we just finished Exodus, so it just made sense to start something else. But before we get into Acts in the the fall, we're going to spend about eight weeks uh, here in the Psalms. Uh, And we've been doing this for several summers, uh, and so much so that we've actually made it through 41 Psalms. That's why we're at 42 and 43. Uh, And we'll go sequentially through them, and so feel free to read ahead or use those, the the upcoming uh, upcoming Psalm, for your family worship times. Um, but I got to tell you, like, the Psalms have quickly become one of my favorite uh, places to go in Scripture. Just to be refreshed and reminded of so many truths. One other thing before we get in is you may have noticed it feeling a little crowded in here lately. I don't know if you've noticed that. Uh, there's a couple of reasons for that. Number one uh, is that we've had a lot of, a lot of guests the past couple of weeks. Uh, which has been really, really awesome. Uh, If you're a guest, I'm so glad that you're here. Uh, Thank you for choosing to come and worship with us uh, as a part of the trails. Uh, If you have any questions, I'm happy to help. Uh, After the service, I'll be down here to help answer any questions or at least point you to the people that can help answer your questions. Um, But the other reason that it's felt a little tight uh, is because there's a lot of, well, younger faces in this room. Uh, I don't know if you've noticed, but uh, in the summer times, we shut down Trails Kids. Uh, we, we shut it down with the exception of infants through pre-K. So if you have an infant or a pre-K student, uh, they're welcome to continue to go to Trails Kids, uh, continue to be loved on and ministered to. They're working through a brand new summer curriculum that we just wrote um, this year. Uh, and so they're welcome to do that. But for all the elementary school kids, kindergarten through fourth grade, they're with us. And can I just tell you, it is so good to see you. As somebody who speaks to students primarily, you guys put me at ease. Grown-ups are scary. Like, it's scary for me to be up here. So seeing you guys out there, like, it does my heart good. Uh, And I kind of feel a little more at home here in the summer times, at least behind the pulpit. Um, But the other reason uh, that I want you to know about this is that there's, there's two big reasons we shut that place down is because, one, we think it's important to give uh, some space and some time back to the people who so faithfully volunteer and trails kids. They do such an amazing job all throughout the school year to be able to bless them with the opportunity uh, to just refresh and recharge during the summer months so that they can hit the ground running when it comes to August uh, is a gift that we love to give to those volunteers. The other reason is that from a family ministry side, I think that there's a lot of value and I think it's really important for our elementary school kids to see what corporate worship looks like. 
to, to see what it looks like for the adults. Like, what do we do in this big room? Like, how do they sing? How do they worship? How's the word taught? What does this look like? And so for them to get to see you all model what corporate worship looks like so that it's not strange or foreign when they go off out into the world, I think is a really, really special opportunity. And so kids, I've done something special for you today, okay? Hopefully when you came in, you grabbed one of the note sheets. If you grabbed one of the note sheets, it should look like this. And this is to help you follow along in the sermon. All right, And I'm actually going to help you fill out these boxes as we go through. So I'm not just talking to the adults in the room today. I'm also speaking to you guys. And so to help you with this very first box, there's one that says today's Bible passage. I just want you to write Psalm 42 and 43. All right. Psalm is tricky, starts with a P. It's one of those weird, if you're a teacher, like weird silent P. Okay, but parents just help them out with that. But it's pronounced Psalms 42 and 43. Okay, and I'll keep coming back to help you guys fill in some of those other boxes. But uh, in speaking about students and kids, I feel like one of my jobs uh, is to really try to keep an eye, one eye at least, on the culture and the world around us. Uh, mainly because I want, I want to know what our kids are walking into. Uh, we had Senior Sunday a couple of Sundays ago where we commissioned our high school seniors uh, out into the world to fulfill God's plan for their life and His purposes. Um, and, and so part of my, my thought process in, in helping kids be ready for that kind of transition is to keep an eye on what's going on out in the world. And for most of you adults in the room, this will not come as a surprise, but there's been some disturbing things that are happening in and around that our kids are being, well, forced to face. One of the most disturbing things that I think is the promotion of feelings over faith. The promotion of feelings over faith, so much so that uh, many people, and this is not just young people, this is anyone, ha ha has fallen into this trap to where these feelings that we feel start to rule the day. Oftentimes, the way that we wake up and the way that we feel begins to dictate how I'm going to interact with others that day. It starts to determine the circumstances and how I view the things that happened to me that day. And I think at their very worst, our feelings can get to the point to where, well, we start to assume the identity of how we feel. This is a problem. Now listen, what I'm not saying is I'm not saying that feelings are not important or valuable or useful. They are all of those things and they have been given to each of us by God himself. Feelings are good, but surely to base our identity or even the rest of our day based on something that is so fluid and so changing, that can't be wise on our part. I mean, listen, just yesterday, within a 10-minute span, I saw six emotions come out of my seven-year-old, all right? Like, this is how quickly it turns. It was, it was disappointment, and then anger, and then, and then frustration, and then sadness, and then remorse, and then happy, and then excitement. Like, it, like, we covered all of them almost. And so surely, for us to try to, like, put our flag in the ground on this is who I am based on my feelings... This can't be right. Surely there's got to be something more steadfast, something more secure, more solid, maybe even more true than just our feelings. I think this is especially important for us to realize 
when we start talking about dealing with difficult circumstances within our lives. Some people will refer to these, and these songs did a great job this morning of referring to these as the storms of life. And as we look at Psalm 42 and 43 today, we'll see that these are not feel-good psalms. And this will not be a feel-good sermon. But I assure you, it will be a good news sermon. And there will be some good practices for us in the midst of whatever storm you are going through or whether there's a storm on the horizon, there will be good practices, practices for us to learn from the psalmist as we travel with him through his own storm. And my hope is that when we're done this morning, that we might see that in the storms that we, those of us that are in Christ, have a song to sing. And so that's why I've titled my sermon this morning, Singing in the Storm. If you guys would and if you're able, please join me by standing up as we read from God's holy and inerrant word. This morning I'm only going to read one verse out of these two psalms, but I think this one verse is pretty paramount for us. Partly because it is repeated uh, three different times through two psalms. But the other reason, is that I think it gives us a really great snapshot of the condition of the psalmist as well as the song that he's singing. Look with me at chapter 42, verse 5. God's word says, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. You can be seated. So as I've been meditating on these two psalms for the past couple of weeks, um, there's been several questions that have come to mind, uh, and probably the most important one, and the one that I would like to help shape our time with this morning is, when you find yourself in a storm, and the Bible assures us that each one of us will go through storms in this life, but when you find yourself in that storm, how do you tend to respond? Like, what is the natural response that you have when things don't go your way, when circumstances are outside of your control? How do you respond? Well, in looking at these Psalms, I started thinking about my own life and I'll just admit it, I'm a fixer. Like I, I like to fix problems. And so when, when things happen that seem to be outside of my control, my natural tendency is to like try to wrestle control back of the situation. To like do whatever it takes to get control and to fix it. Just to rush to the solution. Anybody else like this? Several of you, I bet. Yeah. Um... I think that the problem with this is that you're going to encounter storms that you can't fix. I can remember the first time my oldest child got sick, and I couldn't fix it. And all I wanted was for her to feel better, but I couldn't. Maybe you've lost a job, and you just, you just couldn't fix the problem. This is just a few examples. You can fill in the blank of your storms where you want to rush to the solution, but there seems to be no solution in sight. 
And so maybe fixing the problem is not what we should be doing. Maybe we should be doing exactly what the psalmist does. Look with me at Psalm 42, verse 1. Let's see how the psalmist approaches this storm that he's in. He starts off thematically with, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. Man, I, I, like I'm just, I, I keep reading this verse and I keep thinking about this poor deer. Um, I mean, I, I don't know what condition or how he got to this place. Maybe there's been a severe drought in the land that he, he runs around in. Or maybe he's just been chased by a predator for the past 10 minutes. But whatever's happened to him, there's no water in sight. And this deer has gotten to this place to where everything about him is desiring water. This is not just a want for the water. This is a need for the water because without the water, the deer may die. It's just so powerful because we think of like my dog in the backyard on a, on a hot day. And everything about my dog just says like I need water. The, the tongue is out. Everything just looks so longing for the water. And the psalmist says, so my soul longs for you, God. It's like in the very onset of this psalm, we see this psalmist growing in his desire for God. Growing in a desire for God rather than a desire for an answer. And we see this as we walk through verse 1 and verse 2. In verse 2 he says, My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When? When shall I come and appear before my God? And right there we start to get this clue into why this man is so downcast and what has attributed to the storm that he's in. And what we'll see in verse 4 is that the reason that he's so downcast is because he is in exile. He has been taken away from his home. He says in verse 4 that he remembers a time when he would go up to the Lord and he would make praises and he would actually lead the procession of praise with his friends and his family. It's like he's been removed from Jerusalem where the temple was, where he would be praising the Lord, where the Lord resided. And now he's not there anymore and he feels lonely and away from his people and his God. Not only that, not only is he in exile, but he's so distraught about the fact of his separation from God and his presence is now people are starting to make fun of him. I mean, look at verse 3. He says, My tears have been my food. All day and night, while they say to me all day long, where is your God? I mean, it doesn't get much worse than to be having a bad day and for someone to rub it in your face that you're having a bad day. In fact, nobody, nobody taunts you or mocks your God unless outwardly you're showing that you're having a bad day and clearly he can do nothing but cry. This is a terrible day. But what's so interesting to me is that even in these first five verses, really in all of Psalm 42, not one time will you see the psalmist ask God to remove these enemies from him. Not once. Not once does he ask for his circumstances to be fixed. All he wants 
is God. <laughs> That's it. Like, like, all he wants is to know that God is near, that God is in the storm with him. The psalmist longs for the assurance and the confidence of the face of God and the comfort that comes from God seeing him. To see God and to be seen by him, he feels like would bring him the utmost peace, peace even in the midst of the storm. Maybe that's what I should be doing. Stop trying to fix so many things, Gabe. Start looking up. And then we get to verse 5, which we just read. And we see here this really interesting dialogue that the psalmist has with himself. Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote a book based on Psalm 42. It's called Spiritual Depression. Uh, I would highly recommend it as a resource. If anybody wants to know more about this particular psalm or even just wants to be well-equipped for the next storm that comes in your life, it is a fantastic read. But one of the things he says early on in the book is this. He says, Have you ever realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you're listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? He said, now this man's treatment was this. Instead of allowing his self to talk to him, he starts talking to himself. He says, why are you cast down, O my soul? Because his soul has been repressing him, cursing him. So he stands up and he says, self, you listen for a moment. I have something to say. Don't make any mistake. This is not like encouraging self-help pep talks. It's not what I'm doing. This isn't like, do you guys remember SNL's character, Stuart Smalley? Remember this guy? He had his own talk show, right? And he's got his little cardigan on or sweater vest. And he looks in the mirror and he says, I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. And doggone it, people like me. This is not what the psalmist is doing. This is not what I'm encouraging you to do, all right? It's not a matter of conjecture. This is a matter of truth. You hear me? This is you speaking truth back into your life. Lloyd-Jones continues, he says, sometimes you have to take yourself in hand. You have to address yourself, preach to yourself, question yourself. And you have to say, hope thou in God, instead of muttering in this depressed, unhappy way. And then, and then you must go on to remind yourself of God, of who God is and what God is and what God has done and what God has pledged himself to do. This is exactly what we talked about last week. That God has pledged himself to walk through the storms of life with you. That he has made promises to you that he ensures to keep. Kids, write this down. That a promise made by God is a promise kept by God. He always keeps his promises. And this is what the psalmist is asking for. He's just trying to remind himself that God has promised not to leave me alone. He's not a far off God. He is a God that is always near to those he loves. Even when we don't feel it. Because it's not about feelings. It's about truth. You say, man, Gabe, we've already made it through half the, half the psalm. I feel, like, I feel like we're on a good path. We're on the, on the up and up. Well, no. Nope. Because if you keep reading, you find out that things have actually just gotten worse. And so then I started thinking through the question of what happens when, when the storms of my life, 
when the clouds don't break and the rain, it just starts raining harder. Like, what then? I, I, I've, I've sought the Lord and I've prayed and, and, and I've tried to worship through the storm, but it just seems to intensify. Does this mean that, that God's not listening or that he just doesn't care? I think, I think this is the tendency of some of us, is that when God doesn't immediately act on our beck and call, then, well, sometimes the tendency is just to assume the role, the role of the victim. Well, I guess this is just how it's going to be. I'll probably never get out of this. Or even worse, some people will start to look for idolatrous sources of comfort in order to ease their pain. I could go through a whole list of these comforts. Can I just tell you that none of them work? None of them work. And so if you look at verse 7, you'll see the psalmist is in his lowest of lows in verse 7. He literally feels like he's drowning. Look at what it says. It says, deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. He's like, just when I thought it couldn't get worse, bam, here comes another one. Bam, here comes another one. I was thinking about like the first time I went boogie boarding. I got knocked off a wave, got thrown under the water, and I start to make my way up, and then another wave hit. And now I'm in this, you know, like the undertow washing machine, which is a scary place to be if you're a human. Like you're just rolling over and over. You can't make it back to the surface. And I'm thinking like, I'm, gonna, I'm about to die. Right here in the Gulf of Mexico, I'm about to die. Because I can't breathe and I can't make it to the top. It just keeps pulling me down. This is where the psalmist is at. Not only have the external things started to weigh on him, now his own self is starting to turn on him. But there's something very, very important for us to remember. And he remembers it in, uh, in just the slightest of ways. Did you see what he did in verse 7? Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfall, your waves, your breakers, that even in the midst of the storm, the psalmist recognizes the sovereignty of his God. He, he just reminds himself that God is fully in control. I don't, I don't like where life is at right now, but I believe that God is fully in control. And you start to see him grow in his dependence on God. That I can't fix it, I can't change it, but I fully depend that God is in it, that he is in control of all of it. And even in verse 8, we see where he says that by day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. It's like in, sometimes in God's silence or his lack of immediate intervention, we think this is a sign of, of him just not caring or, or him distancing himself from us. And what the psalmist sees here, he's like, no, no, he's there all the time. He's in the storm with me. And even though I feel like he's not, I know that he is. And so his response we see in verse 9 and 10 are just amazing. One commentator said this is the most beautiful contradiction within the Bible. Look at it. He says, I say to God, my rock. Oh man, what kind of song is he about to sing? Let's look. Why have you forgotten me? 
Why do I go on mourning because of the oppression of my enemies? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all day long, where's your God? <laughs> He's just like, I, I don't know what to do. And I love this about the Psalms because they are so brutally honest. And so the, the psalmist doesn't hold back. You know why he doesn't hold back? Because God can take it. And he just says, God, this is how I feel. This is how much what I'm going through hurts. It feels like you're not there. I know you are, but it feels like you're not. But notice he says all of these things to the place that he knows he will find victory. God, his rock, the one who is his refuge, the one who he calls his salvation. He's just going to be honest and say, this is how I feel, God. But I know that you're the one that's going to get me through it. I'm going to depend on you to do what you do to see me through this thing. If only we would, we would get to this place. To where we could just like... He says in verse 11, hope in God. It's like he just refocuses his attention back on this idea that God's faithfulness of the past can be the spark that gives him hope for the future. God's faithfulness of the past gives him light in the darkness. It gives him hope for the future. And notice, verse, or chapter 42 ends right there. Like, that's it. And you're like, terrible story, Gabe. Like, the Bible, like, bad beginning, super awesome ending. Not 42. Bad beginning, still bad at the end. And so even in this, we see, like, he's still in the storm. Nothing for this man has changed. Everything is the exact as it was at the very beginning. Even though he's gone through this process of growing in his desire for the Lord to be near him. Growing in his dependence on God to work and move in the midst of the storm. He's still in it. But you know what he's doing? He's fighting. He's fighting. He's fighting for hope. He's fighting to be able to sing God's praise yet again. But this time on the other side of the storm. And so we move into chapter 43, which many scholars would say is just an extension. It, they may have even been one psalm at one point in time. And they say that because we'll see the same chorus spoken at the very end of this psalm. But before we do that, we see that in this new psalm, the psalmist has changed his tune. That now that he is desired for the presence of God and he is desired more dependence on God, he now starts to make requests of God. And I started thinking about my own life and I thought, what a shame that usually this is where I start when the storms hit. That usually as soon as the storm hits, I want to rush to God for him to fix it. I'm more interested in his power than his presence. I'm more interested in his solution than himself. I think, man, I, like, I need to rethink how I'm walking through the storms that I'm in. Not just using God, but actually wanting to be with God. To trust him, to depend on him. And so now as an act of faith, the psalmist begins to pray and make requests of his Savior, his rock, his refuge, and his strength. Look at verse 1. 
43.1 says, Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me. He makes three requests. The first one is, Vindicate me. Judge me and declare me innocent, God. And then he says, Defend me and deliver me. This is the first time that he's asking for removal of the, the, the circumstances that he's in. He's like, Please, just make them be quiet. Don't let them mock you anymore. Give them reason just to stop. He's asking for deliverance from his external circumstances, that which he cannot change. And then look at verse 3. Now he's got a new request. Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. He goes on in verse 4 to say, I can't wait to get back to that place so that I might praise you again. And it's so interesting, this second request of send help and lead me. It's like he's desiring for an internal rest from all the things that are swirling around inside. And then just as 42 started, 43 ends. (laughs) And with the conclusion of these two psalms, we see that there's not a happy ending. That by the end of these psalms, the psalmist is still in the storm. He's still depressed. He's still in turmoil, still struggling, but he's still fighting. Still fighting for hope. And he's not doing it alone. You know, I, I was thinking... And and I've had these conversations before of in in 42 years that God has given me on this earth, I've been through storms. Uh, I've walked with people through storms. And, And it just, it makes me wonder how without, how some people do it without the Lord. Have you ever wondered this? Like I just, like there are things that just become overwhelming. When you're in the middle of these storms. And, and, and my heart breaks for anyone that doesn't know Christ. Who literally has to miserably just wait for the storm to pass. And I just think, I wish they knew there was a better way. There's a different way. There's a way that in Christ... Even in the storm, you can sing. It may not be a happy song, but let me tell you, it's a good news song. And it will change your perspective about what storms are and how we operate when the storms hit. I think that storms actually allow those of us in Christ some really unique opportunities. Three that I want to cover with you. The first one is that I think storms allow us the opportunity to exercise and strengthen our faith so that our faith becomes bigger than our feelings. And I know that is wildly countercultural. But as believers in Christ, our faith must be bigger than our feelings. 2 Corinthians 5 7, Paul says, We walk by faith, not sight. That the things that are going on around us that we see with our eyes, these are not the things that have rule over us. These are not the things that define us. It is our faith in Jesus Christ and what he's done for us on our behalf that defines us, where we find our identity. And so a storm is just an opportunity to exercise that faith. 
so that we don't buy into the lies. The second way that I think that we can use storms as an opportunity is to be reminded that, that the psalmist's prayer for light and truth has been answered. That God has already sent his light and truth. His name was Jesus. Kids, write this down. God sent his light and truth to us in Jesus. Jesus tells us that he's that. In John 8, 12, Jesus says of himself, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. What an assuring statement for those of us in Christ. That we'll never walk in darkness, but we have the light of life. Jesus says, if you're in a storm, you follow me. You cling as close to me as you can and you follow me out. That's how you're going to make it through this storm. That's where your hope lies, is in following Jesus more closely. In John 14, 6, he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus says, I'm the light and I am the truth. What the psalmist prays for that God would send help and light and truth and lead to his holy hill, Jesus has done for you and I. I mean, if this doesn't get you excited, I'm not saying be excited about walking through a storm, but I'm saying being excited for the hope you can have in it. The third and final thing that I think that storms allow us an opportunity to do is that I think it reminds us, and I hope it sets our eyes forward, to remember that Jesus is our ultimate, eternal, and sufficient hope in every storm, and he is our reason to sing. Revelation 21.4, Jim mentioned this this morning. In Revelation 21.4, John tells us that he will wipe away every tear from your eyes. And death will be no more. There will be no more moaning. There will be no more crying. No more pain. For the former things will be passed away. This is the day we hope for, church. Like, not to get bogged down in the storms of life, but to keep our eyes up. Kids, look at this drawing I drew for you. I was sitting in service last week, and like, all I could think was this was that there are storms, right? And there's tears in the storms because it's not fun to walk through the storms. But as someone who's in Christ, you don't stay there. You look up and you look to eternity, remembering that there will be a day when Christ will wipe away every tear. And that there is hope in the midst of that storm because it is a reality that that day is coming. And that's the one we've got to be looking forward to. Not how bad is today, how amazing will eternity be? This is where our eyes have to go. This is the hope of the gospel for those that are in the storm. So Martin Lloyd-Jones finishes his book on spiritual depression. The last paragraph, he writes this. He says, do not agonize in prayer, beseeching God for his power. But instead, do what he has told you to do. Live the Christian life. Well, how do we do that? Pray and meditate upon him. Spend time with him and ask him to manifest himself to you. Listen to this. And as long as you do that, 
You can leave the rest to him. I mean, this is how we walk through storms. That we, we look at ourselves and we have this dialogue exactly how chapter 43 finishes. Why are you cast down, O oh my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. Trust church, hope in God. For we shall again praise him, our salvation and our God. These words are true. He is our hope, our only hope, in this life and the life to come. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for the truth of your word and the honesty of the psalmist. Father, I pray for anyone that is currently in a storm right now, that if they don't know you, that you would, by your grace, Show them that there is a way to walk through the storm in hope. And that hope only comes through salvation in Jesus' name. And Father, for anyone that, that may be about to walk through a storm, God, keep our eyes focused on the eternal. Keep our eyes focused on a day when you will make all things right. And that we may sing you a song even in the storms, knowing full well that when that time comes, as Jim said earlier, we will sing perfectly to you. We love you, Jesus. We cannot do these things without you. And so we pray all of these things in your mighty name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast from The Trails Church. We hope you have been encouraged, equipped, and edified by time spent together in God's Word. And again, if you'd like to find out more about The Trails Church, visit our website, thetrails.org.